0: He is someone that, as doctor friends tell me, has seemed to be more prone to concussions because he hasn't recovered from earlier concussions. That's a problem. I had a neurosurgeon tweet at me today that if he handled his patients the way the NFL handles their patients, he'd lose his license. there, boys and girls. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. I hope you all have been celebrating, enjoying your family, enjoying this downtime, this relaxing time of the year as we get ready for 2023. And uh, I would have thought that we would use this podcast as a retrospective of 2022. We're in our final days right now. You may be hearing this even into 2023. But that's what we're going to do. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by DraftKings, our official sponsor. And produced by Jack Connell, musical producer, my son, Sam Brand. I've had a lot of quality time with him this past couple of weeks. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get into the top 10 business of sports stories for the year. I have a first to comment on Tua and the situation with the Dolphins and his head. But I just want to let you know, we're going to be going through what I've, there's so many great business stories. Most of them, as you know, my background will be about NFL business, but We're going to go through it and uh, go through the retrospective top 10 business of sports stories for the year. First, before we get to that, a word about Tua, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name because I'll butcher that. Tua now has been diagnosed with a concussion. He played against the Packers on Sunday. He hit his head violently. No one really saw it, at least no one in the mainstream media, but obviously there are people there who are paid to see it. Uh, that would make his third concussion of the year. Now, some will tell you only a second because the time he also had his head snap back against the turf in September was not officially diagnosed as a concussion, was officially a back injury, even though he had ataxia and it was wobbly. We all think it was a concussion. Then he had a diagnosed concussion four days following that in a Thursday night game at Cincinnati. So we've gone probably to three concussions, probably two of those concussions in games where he continued to play till the end of the game with a concussion, and now he is set. I've talked about Tua throughout the year. I also think that Tua has a potential future earnings lawsuit down the road if he is not signed to a big extension next year, if he doesn't have the career earnings that you would think someone like him should have compared to other players around the league. This is going to be something to watch. But my point about Tua is I feel for him. People have let him down. He wants to play. Of course he wants to play. Players want to play. It's a default setting for every player. And this goes to junior high and high school and college and pros at all levels in all sports. I've seen it throughout my life. Players want to play. It's up to the adults in the room, those taxed tasked with protecting their safety and health to prevent them from playing. That hasn't happened with Tua. He has continued to play through situations where if you're a parent, if you're a medical professional, you do not want them to play. He has played. The Dolph- whether it's the Dolphins, the independent doctors, the spotters who are up in the booth who are t- supposed to spot exactly things like this, the referees, whatever the the NFL itself, someone somewhere, people have let Tua down. He's not going to say it. He's a good good. Per, he's going. You know, he's obviously he's being employed and paid a lot of money by the Dolphins. He's not going to bite that hand that feeds him, including the NFL. But down the road, I think that could change. My point is, I feel for Tua. He's had probably three concussions, maybe more, two of which he continued to play one of which happened four days after what I believe was a concussion. He is someone that, as doctor friends tell me, has seemed to be more prone to concussions because he hasn't recovered from earlier concussions. That's a problem. I had a neurosurgeon tweet at me today that if he handled his patients the way the NFL handles their patients, he'd lose his license. This is what's happening. I get it. We have a lot of conflict between health and safety and getting the best players on the field. This is not a good look. Tua has been let down. Okay. Let's get to the top 10 business of sports stories for 2022. I start with the guy that seemed to dominate the news as much as anyone without playing until December. His name is Sean Watson. We'll start with the discipline. We had a 17-month span where he allegedly assaulted dozens of massage therapists going to have massage under the pretense of massage, not wanting massage directly, wanting to have some sexual satisfaction and assault. His case finally went to a discipline procedure that was new. It was the first test case of a new personal conduct discipline procedure set by the NFL. That resulted in a six-game suspension by the independent arbiter of this new system, a former judge named Sue Robinson, who although found his actions egregious and predatory, said it was due to a non-violent nature she would not impose severe discipline because it was not in line with previous precedent. It was a curious opinion. Roger Goodell was not part of it. He was no longer Judge, but he also or jury, but he is still executioner. So he appealed as his right under the CBA. And guess who he appealed to? Himself, designated an appeal arbitrator to hear it, and that never got to him because they settled for an 11 game suspension, almost twice the initial suspension. Why didn't the NFL push this for longer? I think they wanted to get it behind them. Who knows if Schwatzen would have sued in federal court. It just seemed that would be an uphill climb. But Watson reappeared in December on a football field. I never thought he would. I thought the NFL would go to the mat to try to keep him off the field. They decided to keep him off only 11 games through a settlement. That's where we are, even though he was unrepentant in accepting the settlement. And now he's back playing, which is not a good look. And worse on the look is, of course, his contract. The Cleveland Browns rewarded him with the best contract in the history of the sport. It's not even close. It's $230 million guaranteed, fully guaranteed, five years fully guaranteed. And the bonus of $45 million this year was not subject to forfeiture at all for suspension. So for his month of playing in 2022, he makes $45.35 million. It's an extraordinary contract. And who got it? Not Tom Brady, not Aaron Rodgers, not Patrick Mahomes, not Josh Allen, not Joe Burrow, not Justin Herbert. This guy. This guy got it in part and unfortunately in large part due to his own misbehavior because the Texans didn't want any part of him. They created this two-tier auction, one where they pre-qualified teams that would give them three number one picks. And then those four teams, the Panthers... The Saints, the Falcons, and the Browns got to talk to Watson and then became a true auction. And Watson, who kicked the Browns out of the running, eventually signed with the Browns. And now we know why. It's an extraordinary contract, and there's never been one like it. The third part of the Deshaun Watson biggest story of the year is about the contract. The question became, and still is, whether the Watson contract is precedent or an outlier aberration. Of course, the owners wanted to be an outlier. And so far, they have won that battle. Three extensions since the deal of Watson. Derek Hark, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, all huge contracts, but all revert to the old structure of one or two years guaranteed. The rest on the come, the uh, allocation of risk to the player after the low risk early years of the contract. That happened. The one question remains is Lamar Jackson. I'll get to that in a minute. But so far, owners have been able to use the outlier argument to say Deshaun Watson's deal should not be precedent, and it hasn't been. And they've won those battles with players that we all say, why did they even do these deals? But at the time, they had the leverage, we thought, to get fully guaranteed contracts. Murray Carr and Wilson and Nunn did. So as of this writing, as of this talking, the Deshaun Watson contract that broke all kinds of ground in pushing the envelope for players has no precedent, has no precedent beyond it. That's unfortunate. Which moves us to the second business of sports story about the contract that didn't happen. Lamar Jackson with the Baltimore Ravens. He didn't negotiate with an a traditional agent, but he negotiated nonetheless. And he, it seems, was adamant to not accept the traditional structure for that. Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Derek Carr just took, but advocate for himself for Watson being a precedent. The owner of the Ravens, Steve Bisciotti, was lamenting the deal of Watson way back at the owners' meeting in March, cursing Steve, uh, cursing Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the uh browns in so many words basically saying that has changed the game well it didn't change the game and he stood up to lamar jackson and said i'm not going to do that so a stalemate and jackson says i'm going to bet on himself but can't really bet on himself because we have the franchise tag in nfl nfl owners have it always. they have this franchise tag which prevents elite players like lamar jackson from getting paid now Jackson will either take a franchise tag next year or succumb to the deal the Ravens want him to take, which will be not a fully guaranteed contract, or they may even trade him. But we'll see what happens. But for now, Lamar Jackson has been more productive, been healthier, and been more successful than Deshaun Watson, but he can't get Deshaun Watson's deal. That is what's going on. The owners have shouted outlier to such a cry that the NFLP has instituted a collusion grievance against the owners to see what happens there. So that's Deshaun, that's Lamar. The third business of sports story of the year is maybe the end of days for Commander Dan Snyder. He's Mr. Snyder to you and me. He's the owner of the Washington Commanders, which was the Redskins, which was the football team, which was the team I grew up with, which is the owner that I grew up a mile away from. I did not know him. We're peers. We lived in the same area. But that is Daniel Snyder. He has come under such fire this year. There is a congressional investigation and now report about his behavior. There is a lawsuit from the Washington, D.C. Attorney General. There's an ongoing investigation by Mary Jo White, who is really recreating the investigation by Beth Wilkinson. That never saw the light of day. There's a call for his ouster by fellow owner Jim Ursay, the Indianapolis Colts. There is a lack of interest or any appetite for stadium funding from all the municipi- how, m- municipalities around the commanders, meaning Washington, Maryland, and Virginia. Nothing. With all this going on, Dan Snyder is in the middle of it and has not left yet. Now there's rumors, there's a report, He's exploring options. There's a report that bids were due last week. There's a report that he could get 7 billion. To all of that, I say, I'll believe it when I see it. His identity is wrapped up being in commander's owner. He lives for that. We'll see if he sells. And until he does, we're left with that. Listen, the owners are not gonna vote him out. I've said that. They maybe can Sarver him, that's my phrase, for what the NBA did with their coordinated campaign to remove Robert Sarver of the Phoenix Suns, which is happening. Well, can they do that to, to Snyder? Maybe. There seems to be some traction. But as I said, is it the end of days for Commander Dan? I will believe it when I see it. Okay, the next issue we'll talk about, we'll stay with the owners here because we just hit on Daniel Snyder. The fourth business of sports story, we're going to mostly NFL, but we'll we'll venture in other sports here. The franchise sale of the Denver Broncos. Before the Broncos were sold in 2022, the largest transaction for an NFL franchise was the Carolina Panthers, the most recent one, I believe 2018, where where Tepper bought the team, David Tepper, hedge fund guy. $2.275 2.275 billion dollars. Well, this is over twice that, right? This is twice that number, 4.6 billion dollars. And it's the Walmart family, it's Rob Walton, whose son-in-law Greg Penner's running the team and Walton will na- is now the owner. It is the most expensive franchise in the NFL and oh by the way, the most disappointing franchise in 2022. They've just fired their coach, Nathan Nathaniel Hackett, before the end of his first season. The Russell Wilson trade and contract seems like a massive mistake. And everyone's asking me already, one year in, when can they get out of it? Well, maybe in 2024, but that is going to be hell to pay if they do. We have the sale. And it just shows you the power of the NFL. The sale is a massive price. Not as big as the sale of Chelsea. The Premier League team that is such an iconic brand to Todd Bowley, the owner of the LA Dodgers and his group, for $5.2 billion. Now there's a couple Premier League franchises that are also iconic, potentially for sale with Man U, Manchester United, as well as Liverpool. So we'll see where that goes. And as I just mentioned, with the Phoenix Suns having a new owner after. The old owner was Sarvered out of the way. Matt Ishbia, 42-year-old mortgage lending tycoon, a former walk-on for Michigan State basketball, got a championship in 2000. He becomes the new owner, and that purchase price is supposedly $4 billion. Previous high purchase price, $2.2 billion for the Nets by Joe Tsai. So you can see the appreciation of these massive, fr- massive franchise valuations. That's what's going on. It's certainly happened in the NFL with uh, Ishbia. It happened in the Premier. I'm sorry, with the NFL with Walton, and it's happened in the Premier League with the Chelsea price, and of course now we're in the NBA with Matt Ishbia is paying four billion valuation for the Phoenix Suns. Fascinating. The last point on Walton and. Uh, The Deronco's is Walton becomes the NFL's wealthiest owner. Number two is Tepper. I just mentioned number three is Walton's brother-in-law Stan Kroenke, who married into the Walton family. He would be your third wealthiest NFL owner. Okay. We have now done four. speaking of owners again, let's stay on that topic. The fifth business of sports story of the year. That would be, stadium subsidies for two NFL teams that are eye-popping. The Buffalo Bills, Bills Mafia, everybody knows the Bills. Well, the Bills are now going to get a new stadium, which, of course, they're going to pay some. The NFL is going to pay some. But the state of New York and Erie County are going to pay $850 million. Think about that. Now, the most stadium subsidy we've seen before that is Las Vegas attracting a new team, paying $800 million towards the construction of Allegiant Stadium. Now we're going to see it, where the state of New York is going to allocate $600 million. Erie County, where the bills are, are going to allocate $250 million. That's $850 million for the Pagoula family to help them build a stadium. Not to be outdone, the Strunk family in Tennessee is going to get over a billion dollars in stadium subsidies, to build a new stadium in Nashville 500 million coming from the city of Nashville and another 760 million coming from revenue bonds issued by the state, by the municipalities. Think about that. $1.26 million coming to the Tennessee Titans for the instruction of a new stadium. Now, listen, all of this obviously is going to be paid through taxes Hotel taxes, tourist taxes, revenue bonds, the maturing. But that's not important. The owner, you know, they just know they're getting the money. They're getting the money to help fund these stadium construction. And that has happened in these two markets as well. It's really something where these owners, of course, the municipalities, the public funding does not get any value when the franchise sells, which could be for four, five, six, seven, eight billion dollars. So these owners have the best business model known to man, which is socialize cost and privatize profit. Okay, we'll get to the, the next five business of sports stories of the year in 2022. After a word from Rocket Money, Rocket Money is formerly known as Truebill. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending, helps you lower your bills, All in one place. Listen, over 80% of people who have subscriptions, they forget about it, like me. Remember that streaming service you bought to watch one show, that free trial you never used? Rocket Money can quickly and easily identify your subscriptions. You can stop paying for the ones you don't want. It makes canceling subscriptions easy as one click. Find the subscription you don't want, press cancel. Rocket Money does it for you. No more long Hold times with customer service or the tedious emailing. There's 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving an average of $720 a year. Listen, I've got unused subscriptions. You do too. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel these unwanted subscriptions. Manage your expenses the easy way. Go to rocketmoney.com slash BOS. That's business of sports. That's rocketmoney.com BOS. One more time, rocketmoney.com slash BOS. Stop throwing your money away. Use Rocket Money. Okay, let's get back to our top 10 business of sports stores for the year. Coming in at number six, let's pivot away from the NFL for a minute and talk about Live Golf. Live Golf, okay. In my history as a person, I've never seen an upstart league take on an existing Monopoly sports franchise, sports property. Certainly nothing in the NFL, nothing in the NBA, nothing in National League hockey, nothing in uh, baseball, nothing in soccer. There's never been an upstart league to say, hey, we're here and we can compete and we can get the best players. Not even close. Well, we got one in golf. We got one in golf. We've got the PGA and we've got live. And it's hard to say right now who's got the best players. Right. Imagine saying that in any other sport. It's hard to say which league, which tour, which entity has the best players. Well, we know what the PGA is. Live is a newly funded tour that is being funded by the Saudi Public Investment Fund. Now, whatever you think of of the Saudis or sports washing or all that, here's the fact. They have unlimited resources. They have unlimited resources. End of story. In other words... They're going to get who they want to get if there's any interest at all. We're not talking about just the older guard, such as Craig Norman, such as Phil Mickelson, who reportedly is receiving $200 million. We're talking about young stars in the sport, younger stars, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, and of course, Dustin Johnson. They're in the live tour. And now there's a big fight, of course. There's a fight about antitrust. There's a fight about what they can and can't do. There's the PGA suing Liv, Liv suing PGA. This won't go to court probably till 2024. We won't have a decision for quite a while. In the meantime, they will continue to fight. They will continue to have separate locations. Liv Tour just announced three more events in 2023 in the U.S. It's happening. This is such a unique time in sports for a sport with an established tour, established entity, being on the ropes with a new entity. And the entire reason is, of course, funding. Now, the one thing the Live Tour doesn't have, of course, is a network deal, a media deal beyond YouTube, beyond something that's small. The question is, do they even need that? Well, they need that for a little more mainstream coverage, but they don't need it for money. <laughs> they don't need it. I mean, they don't need it for people coming to watch because they've got the players. So, yeah, they need it, but they don't need it. Live golf versus the PGA. Hard to distinguish which has the better players at this point. Of course, PGA is going to have Tiger. They're going to have Rory McIlroy, the stalwarts that aren't going to leave. But geez, I mean, the Patrick Reed, all these players going to live. Um, and, you know, live gives a guaranteed amount. PGA, you'd miss the cut. You don't get anything. Live, we've seen pictures of private jets to the events. Not only not only the players, but their families, the caddies, all those kind of things. It's an issue. Okay, that's number six. Number seven. um, Speaking of TV, <laughs> and speaking of YouTube, NFL has YouTube in the fold. The NFL media deals $120, $110 billion. We, this was the big story last year, $110 billion over the next 11 years with ESPN, with CBS, with NBC, with Fox, with Amazon on Thursday nights. That was done. There was one piece left of the media puzzle for the NFL. That was the Sunday ticket formerly owned by DirecTV who's bowing out after this year, the bidding went out. We heard about Apple. We heard about Amazon. We heard about Google. I didn't think it would go to Amazon because Amazon's already in the fold. They already got quote unquote Amazon. So it was between Apple and Google. And that's quite a, quite a battle to have coming your way, but they chose Google and its YouTube division. And this will be an interesting thing, but it's 2 billion a year. That could go to two and a half with incentives so the total tally for NFL media over the next 11 years, is going to be something like $125 billion. Think about that. 32 teams, that's $400 million. $400 million a year just for media, you know, the cap is maybe it'll go to $300 million. I mean, this, this is just amazing. The NFL power never ceases to amaze what they can garner out of media deals. And you know what? They have an out in these deals after seven years. The YouTube deal is only seven years. So it could go higher. It will go higher. Already we're seeing, you know, the Cowboys Raiders game getting 42 million people on Thanksgiving. It's like there's no limit. Ratings don't even matter now that they got these deals. But these deals may actually look like good deals, not for the NFL, but for the networks, the way these things are going. So YouTube's in the fold. That's our seventh business of sports story for the year. Back to the NFL, I want to talk about number eight, the wide receiver market. No position in the NFL grew this offseason like the wide receiver position. Now, this is something that every year seems to be one position jumps out. But this one jumped out more than any position has in, in recent memory that I can think of. So it starts with free agency, Christian Kirk. Free agents are always going to get overpaid because they have the bidding process. Kirk gets about 24 million a year from the Jags. Christian Kirk, a lot of people don't even know who he is, becomes the highest paid receiver. Then the two trades Tyreek Hill going from the Chiefs to the Dolphins, Devontae Adams going from Green Bay to Las Vegas, both of them in the 25 million a year range. And that is because they were traded for big, big packages, and that's the deal. They get a trade and sign. so now we got a new market, and then a couple of veterans follow up. Cooper Cup gets upgraded, and uh we also saw a new contract. I mean, Cooper Cup is another one, but then we talk about the young players, and that really is the game changer in my mind. The game changer of the year for contracts was. The trade of A.J. Brown during the draft from Titans to Eagles for a first and a third round pick. The key is they have a new contract at 25 a year. That's not for a veteran, right? That's not for Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill with skins on the wall, Cooper Cup. This is for a young player in a rookie contract. So he had one year left on his rookie deal at minimum wages, whatever it was, a million dollars. And he goes to 25 a year that sign and trade changed the game because soon after that, three other players from the A.J. Brown draft class all got upgraded to a similar amount. D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Debo Samuel. All almost identical contracts. A.J. Brown's a little longer. uh, Terry McLaurin's a little less than the other three. But wow, virtually the same contract. So A.J. Brown's deal changed the game. Truly, and that's where we are with the wide receiver market. Now, not only veterans with skins on the wall like Hill and Adams are getting 25-year, but young players in their fourth year before their rookie deal is up are getting that number. That's a massive change. That's uh, number eight in the business of sports stories of the year. Number nine, college sports. The uh, NIL name image likeness came in 2021 when the NCA threw up their hands and sort of let the states and schools and conference handle it. And I'd say for the first part of NIL in 2021 part, at least, it's nice. It's innocent. It's players like Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh taking his lineman out to steak dinner. It's shout outs on Instagram. It's doing fun stuff. Then it kind of changed. The NIL has become more sinister because these collectives form The one thing NIL was never supposed to be was about recruiting, never supposed to be about packages for players. But that's exactly what it's become, where players are being bought and sold, not only incoming players, but also uh, transfer portal. And listen, I don't put this on the schools entirely. I put this on the players because they see what's going on. So they have their one year last year at their ex-school. They see the money out there. They put themselves in the portal. They reach out to coaches like, what can I get? So now it becomes the package. It's free agency without a salary cap. It's players saying to ex-coach or ex-school, what can I get? And then you hear the rumors, the Texas A&M recruiting class, the rumor of anywhere from 5 to $20 million spent on that class. The rumor now of a quarterback going somewhere for a $5 million package, the rumor of high school quarterback from California going to Tennessee for an $8 million package, $2 million a year as long as he stays there, the rumors of Paolo Bonquero and what he got at Duke for one year, and the millions. These rumors are all out there now. It's in the world. And people are calling up schools and saying, what's the package? I'm not talking about millions, but some of these players – you know, whether it's 50 grand, 100 grand, 250, whatever it is, it's happening. So the wild west of NIL is there and you wonder where it's going to end. Are these boosters going to say, uh, I'm not going to do it anymore. We stunk, uh, Texas a stunk this year. I don't know. I think that money's going to stay there. So where's it go? I don't know. I just think you know, the whole idea is regulation. We have a new NCA president, Charlie Baker. He has connections on the Hill, obviously, former governor of Massachusetts. Try to get either an antitrust regulation uh, uh, exemption for the NCA or try to come up with some regulation. The reason all of this is happening <clears throat> is the NCA is scared of lawyers and lawsuits. They lost the Austin case. There's another case winding its way up. And this is not good. So unless Baker can get a handle on this with congressional intervention, either with an antitrust exemption or some definite regulation, it's going to keep going on. I mean, it may keep going on after that under the table, but this is a problem. The new wave of NIL, the revolution of NIL has been a huge story this year. And the last business of storage story for 2022 is crypto and the fall of ftx and again this is not necessarily a sports story it's much bigger than that cryptocurrency is an intriguing thing i've had a podcast talking about that i hope you listen to that with some experts but ftx's collapse really brings out the sort of sports angle here a lot of celebrity endorsers from the sports world involved tom brady steph curry golden state warriors Miami Heat Arena, Super Bowl ad, Naomi Osaka, Shohei Otani, and more, all wrapped up in this. And it's not like endorsing a hamburger. It's not like endorsing Jack in the Box. It's not like endorsing Pepsi or Coke or Gatorade. These are financial securities. So there's anti touting laws. And what that means is now we got lawyers. David Bowie, is one of the big lawyers in the country, has a class action forming against FTX, which also includes Brady and Giselle and Steph Curry and, you know, the Golden State Warriors, all of this. We have something, we have consumer exchanges looking into what the Miami Heat did with that arena. What happened with the Super Bowl ad going after the creative agency, Den Su that put it together. This had, excuse me, ramifications beyond sports. Now, listen, <clears throat> crypto you know, whether it falls completely or not, but it also relates to NFTs. We don't hear about NFTs. In 2021, all we heard about was NFTs. We don't hear about them, which tells me they've lost value, maybe completely. So this is something that is a huge story, even beyond sports in 2022, where we've had this implosion of not only FTX, but the idea of celebrity endorsers for these cryptocurrencies. Listen, back in the day, athletes wanted to be musicians, then they wanted to be venture capitalists. Seemed like over the past few years they want to be crypto. And we talked about athletes getting their money in crypto, which it really isn't the case. They get their money in cash, then they convert it to crypto. But yeah, it's a story. I don't know if crypto's dead. I know the blockchain's still alive and thriving. But crypto's on the decline. FTX collapse, a house of cards. That guy Sam Bankman-Fried, who became boys with Tom Brady, as well as Silicon Valley, as well as Wall Street, as well as Capitol Hill. Come on, it all fell apart. And Brady is in the detritus. But we'll see what happens with that. And why? What? And postscript: What a year for Tom Brady. <laughs> he retired. He unretired. He divorced. Took a hiatus in training camp. He signed with Fox for $375 million when he retires, if he doesn't unretire, And uh, they might be backing into a playoff spot. All right, that'll do it. Those are the top 10 stories of the business of sports for 2022. As your host, Andrew Brandt, sees them. Hope you enjoy that podcast. If you enjoy my stuff, you want to get my newsletter at andrew-brandt.com. Sign up for the Sunday 7. You can also sign up for my daily videos and my weekly meetings you get through the Sports Business League, go to andrew brandt slash SBL. Instagram reels every week, every day at Andrew Brandt2. Twitter, of course, Andrew Brandt. If you like this podcast, give us a rating if you would and some comments and share it with a friend. Hope you find it unique, interesting. Hope all your wishes for 2022 came through and you have a wonderful, effective, safe healthy, and balanced 2023. I will talk to you once we're in 2023. That'll do it. Thanks to my producer, Jack Connell, my musical producer, my son, Sam Brandt. I'll see you in 2023 next week. Another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.